What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three vampires that love to dance with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I thought Michael Keaton was going to be in this movie. I'm Keith Baker, and Michael Keaton was not in this movie. And I'm Austin Terry, and where was Michael Keaton? That's the question on everybody's mind, because on today's show, we are discussing the new entry in Sony's strange Spider-Man universe that doesn't even include Spider-Man, with, of course, Morbius. But before we get to that, I want to know what your guys' life would look like if you were a vampire. And my life would be very strained, um, because I don't like blood, and I love garlic. So either way, I'm living a rough life as a vampire. I mean, if vampires could eat animals and I would just do that, I guess I would just die. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> if only somebody could develop some fake synthetic blood for us to drink, Keith, we'd be set. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work for more than, I guess, two days. <laughs> it works like alcohol. Your tolerance goes up for it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. That's what my dearest friend, Dr. Michael Morbius, taught me. Um, but with that, let's just go ahead and let's just bite the bullet, guys, and do it. Let's get into our main topic of the episode. It's been a strange few years for Sony when it comes to making superhero movies. In the early 2000s, they were on top due to their rights to Spider-Man, which took over the box office. After the disappointments of the two amazing Spider-Man movies, they decided to share their rights with Marvel so Spidey could enter the MCU. While it all seemed great for Marvel, this led to some weirdness with Sony. Despite sharing Spider-Man, it didn't seem possible basically to make their own solo movies, and audiences probably would not have been cool with them creating their own version of Peter Parker. Cough, cough, uh, maybe just use Miles Morales. <laughs> anyway, the route Sony decided to take was to create a spin-off universe centering on some select Spider-Man villains, I guess, that maybe in the future could cross over with Tom Holland, who the hell knows. But thus, 2018's Venom hit the screen. People were confused about how a Venom film could even exist without Spider-Man, and the reviews pretty much reflected that, combined with the outdated nature of the script and characters. Despite that, though, it became a juggernaut at the box office, which spawned a sequel and gave the internal green light to Sony to create more of these spin-off films. Instead of going with a well-known villain as the follow-up, they decided to tackle Morbius the Living Vampire, who is, I mean, pretty generously, I would call him, a C-list anti-hero from the Spidey comics. They brought Jared Leto on board, and after two years of delays because of COVID, reshoots, and I'm sure much more, our next spinoff film is here. So let's get into it. Austin and Keith, very excited for your thoughts. Give me your non-spoiler opinions on Morbius. I don't know if I have anything like particularly insightful to say here. Um, I did discover that there's no lonelier place than opening day in a Morbius throwing. That's for sure. It's a very empty theater is what I discovered. Um, look, it's bad. Is it as bad as all of the critics are making it out to be trashing it? No. I mean, Jaron Leto's fine. It's uninspiring. It doesn't justify its existence, but it, there are moments that are entertaining. Um, overall though, it's just, it's exactly what you thought it was going to be from the trailers. Yeah. Well, no, no, actually <laughs> <laughs> from the trailers, I thought it was going to be something completely different, but as usual, I didn't really watch intently into the trailers. I just saw them as I was walking into restaurants and bars. For some yep. reason, the Morbius trailer was always on. For two years. This trailer has been going on for two years. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I thought the movie was going to be a lot longer than it was. Thank God it wasn't. Overall, just thought it was really choppy, and it felt like they just left a bunch of way more important stuff out of it. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you guys. It's a really bad movie. I don't think there's any... There's no argument there for me. I can totally understand somebody going to this movie and walking out going, 
hey, it was dumb fun. I had a good time with it. You know, I'm sure the critics hate it, but I had a good time and I wouldn't begrudge any of those people. I'm sure there are a bunch of people that will enjoy this movie for what it is. But what it is, is not quality <laughs> cinema. I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it was a weird one. I'm kind of with Austin that like the level of trash it's getting seems a little bit much, in my opinion. But I'm also with Keith and you as well, Austin, that it's like, I mean, I don't know what they were expecting when they were making this. <laughs> like, I don't know if they ever thought something like this would be good. And as somebody that only saw the first Venom movie, I didn't see the sequel. That movie is basically, they're like carbon copies of each other. Like, they're the exact same feel, kind of the weirdness and like the editing and the side characters and the story and the villain especially. But the thing that Venom had was Tom Hardy is fantastic in it. And he has like the whole voice in his head of the symbiote played by Tom Hardy as well. And they have amazing chemistry. So that kind of propels you through that movie. Whereas I didn't really find that same force with Jared Leto. He just seemed kind of bored the entire time. So it left it to be a very long hour, 45 minutes. And the worst thing I can say, and Keith, you already mentioned it, the editing in this movie I thought was like atrocious. Like the way they cut it, it just, they clearly left out so many scenes like with character developments. And I don't know, they're just like going back on things that they previously said. Morbius is like a fugitive, but then he's just like walking around without a hood in a hospital. It's like, what? So it's it's a very confusing movie. And um, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to talk more about it. Like Jared Leto is, is known for his kind of like he's a character actor. That's what he's known for. He embodies the roles he plays. And of all the roles Jared Leto's gotten asked to do, this is the most boring character he's ever played. And I think for what he was asked to do from the script and the film, he's fine. Like having Jared Leto in this movie didn't uplift it, which he can do for some projects. It's just He's also average like the rest of the film. I think for me, what really stood out as particularly bad is the CGI and the action. There are scenes when Morbius is like slicing people's throats and you hear blood gurgling and you see them like gasping at their necks and there's no blood coming out of the ground. So it's like they forgot to add that in and post like it just seems like a very poorly made and uninspired movie. Oh, they didn't forget. They just were like, we want to make this a scary R-rated scene, but it's PG-13. So they didn't forget. <laughs> they just couldn't put it in, I guess. <laughs> also, speaking of the action, um, we'll get to it later, because I actually kind of liked some of the CG. I liked some of like the red and purple colors they put in there. Just It looked kind of cool, like kind of the smoky effects. But for an hour and 48 minutes, I would say conservatively, an hour and 38 of it is slow motion. <laughs> oh, my God. The amount of slow-mo in this movie. <laughs> Just to be somewhat positive, there were some interesting elements of the movie that they like brought in, like a detective story dealing with a vampire could have been cool, wasn't in this film. I think some of the things they introduced could have been really cool in a, in a different team's hands, maybe in Marvel's hands instead of Sony's. There is going to be a sequel, I'm sure. So maybe bring in a different team. I don't know how you make this work, but we, this is not the last we'll be seeing of Jared Leto as Morbius. I can tell you that. The problem is that was the same thing with Venom. Like, in the sequel, they brought on a new director, like new writers and a lot of like like a bigger actors to the cast. But that movie was received the exact same way. So I don't know if a new team can save our dearly beloved Morbius. All right. So this is one of those rare times where I guess if you're listening to this and wanting to know our thoughts on Morbius, all three of us wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Not good. Um, I mean, guys, before we move to spoilers, is there any reason, do you think? For somebody to go see this in a theater? Absolutely not. Did not contribute <laughs> to this this movie's box office run like the three of us did. Yeah, I would say no. And I did not admit this to you last night, Matthew, when we saw it. There was one moment 
where I was very tired from just yesterday. I was I noticed had a busy that. day. And I was like, is Keith asleep right now? <laughs> I, I closed my eyes for two seconds. I was like, you can't fall asleep. You had to review this movie tomorrow. You got to pay attention to it. But I wanted to go to sleep so bad. <laughs> there was a moment, like probably hour 15 in, where I was like, I've got a sense of this movie. I, I could walk out right now and still be able to talk about it. <laughs> Keith said the same thing. Oh, God. Well... If you want to know our thoughts on the first hour 15 and then I guess the other 30 minutes, it is time, everybody. We're dropping the spoiler warning. If you're concerned about us divulging the details of Morbius, then this is your chance to go check it out and come on back because by God, we don't want to, but we'll be waiting for you. And no joke, the biggest spoiler is Michael Keaton is not in this movie. If oh, you're yeah. coming for Michael Keaton, he's <laughs> legitimately not in the movie. That's probably a good thing to mention. <laughs> All right, guys, here we are. Let's talk everything and anything to do with Morbius. Austin Keith, hit me with the cast and crew. All right. So Morbius is directed by Daniel Espinoza, who is a Swedish director most well known for the Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds sci-fi horror film Life, which I actually did quite like. Um, it's written by Matt Shazma and Burke Sharpless. They're a writing team known for Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter, and Gods of Egypt. However, their only well-received project is Netflix's Lost in Space, which they are currently the showrunners of. Um, our musical score is composed by John Ekstrand. He's a Swedish composer mostly known for Swedish-language films. His English films have pretty much only been with director Daniel Espinoza, with the films Child 44 and Life. And of course, it's based on Morbius the Living Vampire, created by Roy Thomas and designed by Gil Kane. He first made an appearance as the enemy of Spider-Man in October 1971. All right. And going into our cast, we have Jared Leto as Dr. Michael Morbius, Matt Smith as Milo, Adria Arjona as Martine Bancroft, Jared Harris as Dr. Emil Nicholas, Al Madrigal as Agent Al Rodriguez, and we got our boy Tyrese Hell Gibson yeah. as Agent <laughs> Simon Stroud, and... He's not really in it, but Michael <laughs> Keaton as Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. Vulture, reprising his role from the MCU and Spider-Man Homecoming. Only in the post credit scene. And <laughs> yeah. he was in the trailers. Yep. A lot. And that, that, was, that was your theory. And I shot it down. I was like, there's no way they would put the post credit scene in the trailer. And you were right, my friend. I didn't want right. to be. Didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's our cast and crew, guys. Any positives? Any negatives? What do you got? I think the only positive I can give, and it's just because he was at least energetic in his performance, and that's Matt Smith as Milo. I yep. thought he was actually a pretty fun villain. He's way more fun than Jared Leto, but he's like the only guy that's doing something above like a monotone performance in this movie. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, I'm torn between wanting to give like maybe a slight positive, or do I just go ahead and give a negative? Um, give a negative. I'll, I'll be I'll be negative. It's Morbius. Um, <laughs> and speaking of my negative is. Jared Leto. I'm not, I'm kind of with Austin. Like, is he terrible? No, but I just like reading behind the scenes stuff where we talk about him being a character actor and somebody that always really dives in and does method acting. He talked openly that he didn't do that for this movie because he felt that this was not a character focused piece. You know, it was more about plot and like the greater Marvel world and whatever. So he didn't do his method acting, and that's fine. He can do whatever he wants. But whenever you hear him talk about that character, then you watch the movie. It's very evident that there's really not much to this character. And because of that, his performance just really came off as wooden and he just looked bored. And when you pair him with like AJ Arjona or especially Matt Smith, that, that really comes across. So 
I understand like him being maybe more reserved ties into the Morbius character because of the life he's lived. I'm not saying I wanted him to be like loud and goofy, but I just needed something because the word I would use is Jared Leto looked bored to me in most of these scenes. I will say in Jared Leto's defense, if I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm joining the MCU. I'm going to be Morbius. And then I got this script. I'd be bored, too. Just <laughs> fair. <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of side with you, Austin, with uh, Matt Smith as Milo. If I have to shout at anybody, I guess it would be him. He kind of brought some more animation to his vampire, I guess, whenever he's going off the rails. So that was kind of fun, but that was about it. All right. So you've heard our thoughts on Morbius, but let's see what other people have to think. So Morbius currently has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. So fun fact, that actually makes this the worst reviewed new release we've ever talked about in the almost two years we've been doing this podcast. So that might tell you something. The site's critical consensus is cursed with uninspired effects, rote performances, and a borderline nonsensical story. The Spidey-adjacent mess is a vain attempt to make Morbius happen. Negative critiques centered around the uninspiring script. The characters don't have any depth in the general confusion of the story. Specific callouts included. Due to the script and editing, characters are constantly doing things that contradict their previous words or action. The villain turn isn't earned or sensical. And while a film like this is unexpected to be a masterpiece, most of viewers question the need to make it so overly serious and not more fun, like Venom, for example. The few positive reviews we could find mention Matt Smith, while his character was deemed ridiculous, his performance received notice because he seemed to be the only one trying to inject levity in the movie. Leto, on the other hand, was more divisive. Some found him wooden and boring, but some enjoyed the restrained and vulnerable performance he gave. The main positive was the running time. <laughs> that's, that's not a joke, by the way. Everybody mentioned that. <laughs> All right. So Matt mentioned it. Uh, Morbius has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I thought it'd be fun to play a little game with that rating. Okay. I've got a, just a random list of movies here, and I'm going to call them out. And I just want you guys to guess if this movie has scored higher or lower than Morbius on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. I don't know about you, Keith. I feel like I'm pretty in tune with Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm hoping I'm good at this, but maybe Austin has picked a list that will surprise us. See, I'm, I'm not a Rotten Tomatoes guy. I'm, I'm an IMDb guy, so I don't know how mm. the ratings work, really. Okay, well, let's see. Let's see what you got, Austin. Uh, the first one on the list here is Clash of the Titans. Oh, this is already tough. <laughs> the only movie I ever fell asleep during in the theater. I'm going to say lower. I'm going to say because of the effects at the time, I'm thinking that might be like a low 20s. I'm going to go higher. All right, Matt is correct. It has a 27%, 10% higher than Morbius at 17. Okay, okay. All right, another one I've got here is um, the Ryan Reynolds-led Green Lantern movie. I'm going to guess higher. I know that movie was received extremely poorly. Okay, I don't think it's much higher, but I'm going to guess higher as well. You guys are both correct. It is yes. just slightly below Clash of the Titans at 26%. Um, I've also got the 2015 reboot of the Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. I saw that in theaters and I was literally, it was just me and my friend and we got drunk during it. <laughs> I'll say lower. That movie kind of reminds me of Morbius. It's just an editing nightmare. The characters are all terrible. Everything's wrong with it. And I think most people agreed. So I'm going to go lower. All right. You guys are both correct. Yes. The 2015 reboot of the Fantastic Four has a 7% on oh! Rotten Tomatoes. Seven. Another one I've got here is uh, the Jennifer Aniston, Gerard Butler comedy, The Bounty Hunter. <laughs> Wow, I've seen a random too. one. <laughs> that movie is bad. That movie was bad. But is it that bad? I'm going to go higher. I've only seen it once and it was so long ago. I don't know. Maybe a little bit higher. 
Incorrect. The Bounty no! Hunter has a 12% score on Dang Rotten it. Tomatoes. Um, and to end us off today, I do have the Tommy Wiseau directed film, The Room. Oh, interesting. Everybody, like, you know, it's a bad movie, but I don't think I've ever seen like an actual review for it. Did this kind of movie get like positive reviews because it was so bad? Like maybe they were like, oh my God, you have to see this. No, I can't imagine reviewers would do that. I'm going to go lower. It, yeah. I would rank it much higher. I would watch The Room <laughs> 12 times in a row than watch Morbius again. But I, I guess I'll go lower as well. Well, my friends, Morbius is currently lower scored than Tommy Wiseau's The Room. <laughs> Morbius has a 17%. The Room has a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm glad we live in a world where that's ranked higher. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Lisa. Oh, hi, Mark. All right, before we move on from the critics, I, I did find a quote that I think effectively sums up uh, just the Morbius experience in theaters. Quote, I truly believe that Morbius' opening weekend is the three days of darkness foretold in the Bible. <laughs> That's pretty good. I've got another one for you that I think fits the exact same bill. It just kind of encapsulates Morbius. Because if we recall, this movie was supposed to come out in July 2020. The first trailer came out in January 2020. And here we are in 2022. And Sony was like, you know what? Let's find a release date. What, should, what day should we finally release this movie on? And Matt Singer from Screen Crush really nailed it in his rotten review on Rotten Tomatoes. Are we sure this isn't some kind of elaborate April Fool's Day prank? <laughs> How did they think that was a good idea? They released this on April 1st. They really did that. <laughs> Keith, I know you had an issue with uh with um I know you had an issue with how how many times we saw this trailer and how you couldn't escape it. Um mm -hmm. the whole crux of Vox's review was how this trailer was just haunting us for two years. And um they did they did end it off by saying, quote, it dawned on me that there's probably going to be a sequel or some tie-in, that this horrendous thing was maybe just really like the beginning. Soon enough we may find ourselves haunted by another trailer. Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. Like, I'm with Keith that like we're going to get another Morbius appearance or movie, but I didn't even think about having to watch another trailer with Morbius in it. <laughs> For the next three years, they'll, somehow there'll be another delay again. Do you think that trailer will also have really weird quotes like, I'm should doctor. I save the world or destroy it? It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> will Michael Keaton be in the trailer for Morbius 2? Oh, they can't put him in now. They've, they've lost too much goodwill. <laughs> All right, guys. It is time to go a little bit deeper. If that's even possible with a movie like this, let's get into our roundtable discussion and break this all down. Who's going to start us off? Yeah, I think the three of us have been pretty like unified in our approach to this movie that this was going to be a, a flaming dumpster fire from the very first time <laughs> we saw the trailer. So I just, I just had a very generic opening question. Was it as bad as you were expecting? I think it's worse than what I was expecting. Yeah, I was expecting to like it a little bit based off the thousands of trailers that I saw. So I was like, I don't think it's going to be that great, but I think it might be, might come out of it, you know, thinking it's like, oh, it was okay. Not bad, but I didn't like it at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority. We haven't really talked about this too much. We've talked about the trailers themselves and how long we've seen them. But as weird as it is, whenever that first trailer came out, and I believe like the ending reveal of that trailer was like, oh, Michael Keaton's in this universe. Like we had no idea. I was actually stoked. I thought that was cool because. Previously, Sony made Venom, which was like kind of weird if you guys haven't seen it, because they never acknowledged like Spider-Man at all. So we were always watching that like, 
So is this in the MCU, just made by Sony, and they're just not acknowledging it? It was very unclear. But in that first trailer, they show Michael Keaton. It's like, oh, okay, so this is a Sony-made movie that takes place like in the MCU, just kind of like a smaller story. I was like, that sounds cool to me. And then there was like another trailer, probably like a year later, the next trailer. I was like, this looks kind of cool. I'm like kind of digging the action and the vibe. Maybe I'll like this. That's coming from somebody that liked the trailers, but because I know like Venom and like what how these movies work, I knew it was going to be good. I just thought the trailers were good, but the movie itself was going to be bad. So to answer your opening question, Austin, was it as bad as I expected? No, because I thought it was going to be like absolutely horrific, even though I liked the trailers. Um, but it's still very bad. Unfortunately, very bad, you might say. So I guess on the flip side of that, like, what do you guys need from these villain movies to like enjoy them? I know, I know we like Tom Hardy as Venom, or at least I know you do, Matt, but they're still not good movies. So what are you needing no, from these Sony films for, the, for you to be like, man, these are fun movies? Ugh. It's a good question. I think there's a lot of elements. I think, for one... Spider-Man? Well, yes. You need, we need Spider-Man. <laughs> but I guess I've long accepted, because we knew about the Venom movie not having Spider-Man since like 2017. So I, I guess I've accepted it, even though I don't like it. So what do we need? I think two things are important. First of all, we need really strong character arcs, which is something that both Venom movies and this are severely lacking. It's just there's not much to these characters. At least Venom, it's fun. There's a fun dynamic between Eddie and the symbiote. Here, I, like I said, I, it wasn't for me. It's a little bit bland. And there just wasn't much where Morbius was at the beginning. And at the end, I would actually call it confusing. It's like, so is he cool with being a vampire now? Like, like one of you guys said at the beginning, the ending is very abrupt. He just kills Milo and then he flies away. And it's like, okay, is he accepting this life? It's very confusing what the arc is of the character. And then the other thing that I would like, if you're going to tell stories with Spider-Man villains, I think you should kind of be a bit bold and be more interesting. Like, it's okay to tell stories where the characters aren't always perfect. Like, I think it would have been really interesting to have a story where Morbius accidentally turns himself into this vampire because he's trying to do good, but then he, like, has to kill people or he'll die or he can't control himself. That would have been kind of a darker story and more interesting watching this doctor have to kill people in order to like stay alive long enough to finish his work. And it would have been dark and it would have made him what you would call a villain, like he's doing bad things. But both Venom and this movie, like they strive to make these characters heroes, like they have to make them good people. And I don't like that because that's not who these characters are originally. So it's like, why are you making them just to make them heroes? I thought. Sony's whole thing was to make them villains to fight Spider-Man later. But now, why would Morbius ever fight Spider-Man? Because he's a good guy. So it's just, it's, it, yeah, I need them to lean into the villain stories and have good character arcs. I mean, those are the two things for me. When the movie opens and you go back to his childhood, it's like, this might be somewhat interesting to see like what it was like for him with the blood disease. It might make him more of a sympathetic villain. I thought that's the angle we were going for. But really, we just see him in the orphanage and then it cuts to him as an adult. One of the more interesting scenes in the trailer to me was like him in that cave with the baths. That's the opening of the movie. Yeah. And then the next scene is the bats are in his lab and he's already developed the cure. That was we so skip everything. To me. We don't get like the trials and tribulations of him like over and over through his whole life trying to make a cure. It's like the opening of the movie is he makes the cure and we're good to go. I just don't think they do a very good job of, of like making you care about or root for Morbius in this movie and not even root for him in like a hero sense. Just like understand why he's becoming villainous. So that goes back to my expectations from the trailers. Like the trailers, it seemed like a lot of the trailer was him in the Costa Rican jungle 
looking for the cure. So I thought half the movie was going to be him out there. Yeah, I also was confused as well, talking about the editing once again. I really thought when the movie started, we were doing the whole like in medias rest thing. Like I thought it was going to be like Fight Club where the movie starts and we're at the end. And then it's like, holy shit, this is crazy. Let me take you back to the beginning. So like whenever he's in the jungle and he's like setting up this experiment to like cut open his hands and the bats fly at him. And then it goes 25 years earlier. I was like, okay. So now they're going to introduce us to him, give us the backstory. We see him win the Nobel Prize, but then he rejects it for some reason. I don't know why they cut that scene. Would have loved to see his speech instead of just like the doctor later. I heard you rejected the Nobel Prize more. Because he's like, yeah, I did. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But I thought we were leading back up to him going to the Costa Rican jungle. Because I mean, am I alone? Like, I thought him cutting open his hand and doing that weird experiment was what turned him into Morbius. Instead, he just like captures all the bats somehow. No clue how he did that and brought them back. So he cuts his hand open, holds it up to a thing. What was the purpose of that? Because they're vampire bats and they want to drink but blood. How did he capture them? Like, what? It was so <laughs> weird to me. He holds the suitcase open and they fly into it. <laughs> <laughs> I did find it interesting, of course, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, but like once he becomes Morbius and he's like, wow, I finally found a cure. I feel incredible. I feel the best I've ever felt. I don't feel like I'm dying every day. But then the, the flip side is he has to drink this blood. Yeah, it's an easy, interesting thing. But by the end with that character where he just, like I said, he be, seems to be accepting being a vampire is very confusing based on his arc. And don't get me started on Milo and even more bizarre just character arc that is completely confusing and weird and ugh, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about him more but just his turn com- comes completely out of the blue. Milo I guess is like Jared's like sugar daddy he's like funding everything but he's also like a mobster so. for some reason he's surrounded by like Russian thugs. Why yeah. is there a full armed mercenary crew on his boat where they're performing experiments that didn't make any sense. I don't know <laughs> they cut all of Milo's story out of the movie I'm pretty sure. Well and if we're talking about character arcs as Keith knows Potentially my favorite character arc in the movie is part of Milo's story because he goes from this sick young boy that just wants to get a cure. He shows up at a hospital. His name's Lucian. And Morbius is like, hi, Milo. And he's like, my name's Lucian. And he's like, no, you're new Milo. And he's like, why? What do you mean? And he's like, well, the last person that sat there was Milo. And the person before that was Milo. I don't even remember the first Milo. And I was like, okay, this is like some stupid thing. But I guess it's just like, this ties into Morbius' like childhood trauma, so I get it. And then we cut to 25 years later, and Milo refers to himself as Milo now, and Jared Harris calls, his physician calls him Milo now. So <laughs> his character arc was he just like got made fun of as a kid, and somebody did not respect him enough to call him by his own name, and now he's just like, I'm Milo. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny to me. The few against the many. Oh my god, how many times did they say that quote? The few against the many. We get it. <laughs> a very confusing character. Again, props to Matt Smith. I think he's really he's he's the only person that understood the assignment, I would say. Like he got this like you said Austin about Jared Leto, when he got the script and he was like, "Oh my god, this is so boring." And that's why he gave a boring performance. Matt Smith at least like read the script and he was like, "Wow, this is really shitty." But 
I guess, you know, I, I'm getting paid a lot of money. I'm just going to do my best to make it fun. And he did. So I give him major props. Him dancing was the best thing in the movie. That was pretty that hilarious. Was, was <laughs> <laughs> but with that said, I can't, you know, condone the character because his turn as a villain is another editing nightmare. Keith and I were talking about it after the movie. He just takes the serum off screen. Uh, they do like a Kaiser Soze-like move of usual suspects where he's like, walking down the hallway or like the camera's focused on his feet and then he just starts walking normally <laughs> i was like what is this movie going also for? that that surgery on the ship was very invasive for michael morbius he needed his like most trusted doctor friend to give it to him in his spine how did milo do that on his own i don't know they had one of his russian mobsters do it I guess so. One of the dead mercenaries. Maybe that's why he went all crazy. Maybe they put it in the wrong place. Like it's supposed to be in the spine, but like <laughs> but he put it like dick. in his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> that at least would have been interesting if we cut to that. Like, oh, he did it wrong. That's why he's so evil. <laughs> he did it wrong. He just swallowed the entire capsule. <laughs> oh my god! All right, guys, let's just talk about it. Like, so in general, what did you guys think? Because you know, I hated it. What do you guys think of Milo's turn to a villain, going from kind of an innocent, rich playboy, I guess, to all of a sudden takes the serum, he's willing to kill people, and he's mad because Morbius, like, won't, quote, accept him for who he, he won't accept himself for who he is. But they never talk about, yes, Milo, we should accept ourselves, but killing people is wrong. Conversation never happens. What do you guys think of him becoming a villain? <laughs> That's just not earned at all. Like, he's hardly on screen. In, like, Rapid Succession, it's Milo as a boy, Milo as, like, a, a adult friend, Milo as a villainous vampire. There's nothing in between there to justify, like, why he becomes a villainous vampire. It's just, it's terrible. Like you said, Matt, no, no on-screen scenes of him contemplating whether he should take the serum or not. And he looks terrified when he sees Morbius, like, in his form. He looks like that actually, like, shook him. And I actually like that scene. I thought that was a pretty good scene whenever... Milo shows up and has to save Morbius by giving him blood. And then he's like, oh, my God, you found the cure. Give it to me. And he's like, no, I've killed people like this isn't worth it. And he's like, oh, so I have to die. I was like, that was a decent enough scene. And you're right. He did seem scared of him, which is why, again, Keith, that would have been so strong to then have him have a scene after that where he has to be like, well, I saw what he I know what he did and I know he's scared, but. I want to be cured. Like, I guess, I'll, should I take it? Like, that would have been interesting, and they just skipped that. And then he just shows up at the prison, and he's apparently already cured himself. So we talked about Martine injecting him with the serum and all that. Let's talk about their relationship. They were kind of close, colleagues, and then friends, and maybe more than that. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then <laughs> Unclear. She goes, she's in the hospital not answering questions, and that's kind of about what I remember from her. It's a, it's a great point, Keith, because this is a character that was complicit with Morbius, obviously injected him, watched him kill everybody on board the ship, gets put into a hospital, and then refuses to answer questions, which, okay, I guess I get it if you're protecting him. But then the rest of the movie, she's just like totally cool with him. Like they, They're even joking back and forth, like, hey, God, I missed you. Like, What's it like being a vampire? And he's like, don't worry. Garlic doesn't hurt me. Sunlight doesn't hurt me. That's so that's so trivial. It's like, okay. So she doesn't care about who he is, which seems very odd to me. It's just, she's not bothered at all. You would think she'd be terrified because she saw him on that container ship. Uh-huh. <laughs> In the cage. She woke up next to all those dead bodies, drained of blood. Um, I, 
I just don't care about this character. I don't really care about Milo. I don't really care about Michael Morbius. Like, I just, none of the relationships feel new or exciting. It's just a typical, it feels like a CW movie. Like, all the all the effects are bad. All the stories feel like a CW plot line. Even, like, in the romantic scenes, it's, like, it's weird watching actors of this caliber just in scenes where then you have Jared Little, like, okay, close your eyes. Then she closes her eyes, and it's like, okay, he's going to give her, like, a gift or something. And then he just, like, kisses her. It's like, this is, like, so childish. It's so bizarre. And, okay, maybe you can make the argument that, like, they're childs at heart because they never grew up. It's like, no, it it doesn't work. The way you're filming it, it's so weird. Same with watching Milo, like, successfully, I guess, hit on that girl in the bar that likes it, I guess. Like, he's, like, always talking about, there's no love for us, brother. But then he just, like, walks into a bar and immediately, like, it works, I guess. It's just a very confusing romance plot all around. Very CW. I would have loved to see maybe Grant Gustin pop up in one of these scenes. What do you guys think? <laughs> or Agent Lance. Or Detective Lance or whatever. <laughs> we could have seen Agent Lance team up with Tyrese. <laughs> I can't believe Tyrese Gibson was in this movie. <laughs> he really was. He truly was. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about the blood. Because I want to get into this. Oh, let's talk about the blood. We've got blue blood and red blood. If you drink the red, you're strong. If you drink the blue, you're still hungry. Was this fun for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> no. The blood storyline, my big problem with it that I referenced earlier, is it ties into the cop-out nature of this movie for me. I think there's a very interesting story you could have told with Morbius, where he inadvertently becomes this vampire, and but he's a doctor still, and he wants to find a cure, he wants to save people. But in order to do that, in order to stay alive long enough, he has to kill people. There's no other, like, alternative. And, like, they could have done what they did with Venom, where it's like, okay, I'm only going to kill criminals in order to fulfill my bloodlust or something. But no, they came up with this weird cop-out where it's like, off-screen, Morbius wins a Nobel Prize for creating synthetic blood. And the second they said that, I was like, oh my god, this is just so they can have him drink blood that isn't from a person and that's all they introduced it for he also steals his synthetic blood from emts at one point and i'm like well you just killed like four people because they need that to save lives on their job (laughs) well yeah that's my question why that even why does he even need the synthetic blood if he's in a hospital which has like real blood from blood donors you don't have to kill people you just go steal the blood from from blood donors I don't know. It, it was very bizarre. It was all, yeah, like I said, it was just funny that like, he invented that off screen. That was his big Nobel Prize win. And then, yeah, throughout the movie, Keith and I were laughing because there's a scene where he gets caught by Tyrese Gibson and Al Madrigal, and he has a backpack on full of synthetic blood. He runs onto a roof and for some reason takes the backpack off and then gets captured. And then it just immediately cuts to him in prison, writing in his journal about. The synthetic blood's not working anymore. It used to be for six hours. Now, it's only for four. And then it cuts to him in an interrogation, and he's like, I need the blood. I need that bag. And they're like, you can't have it, Dr. Morbius. <laughs> and so I started laughing out loud because I was like, so you're telling me from that rooftop scene to him getting captured, taken to prison, arrested, put in a cell, taken to an interrogation room, only four hours have passed? (laughs) I was like, oh my God. I actually thought we were going to be in for like kind of a cool scene of like, 
this vampire character gets out in this prison and he's super hungry and it's going to yep. be dark and creepy. How easy would that have been to do? And it's prisoners, so you don't have to feel too bad about it. And the movie constantly tells us that. Look, Michael, we're not mad at you. I mean, you killed eight mercenaries on a boat in international waters. Nobody cares about that. Very weird thing for an FBI agent to say, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I really thought there was going to be a prison break sequence where like he drinks red for the first time and it's like, oh shit, like here's what can happen or something. But no, that would have been too interesting. <laughs> I also didn't understand like when his Morbius form comes into play. Like, is that just when he's hungry? Is it when he's super strong? Like none of that stuff really made sense to me either. It looked like it was pretty voluntary with like whenever their face and fangs changed, like whenever they got angry, they could just go... <laughs> it would come out. That stuff I actually always thought looked good, though. It was weird in the movie, but the actual design of that I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. It was just the implementation. It's like, okay, can they only do that when they're hungry? Or can they do that when they're super strong with red? But then you have scenes where Jared Leto just gets really angry, and then he can do it on command. So it's kind of odd. It kind of ties into the whole, like, how do the powers work? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk real quick about the action scenes between the fighting with Michael and Milo. And what do you guys think of the ending, which was very abrupt? I remember Matt and I laughed out loud whenever it ended. That's <laughs> when it showed Jared flying through the air and it just goes, Morbius. <laughs> we looked at each other and started laughing. Yeah, for the fighting, I mean, I thought the color schemes was cool. Everything else just in slow motion and it looks stupid i thought yeah i don't have too much to say I, I liked like what they put the characters in like it's fun to see morbius in like more of like a long like black outfit and of course jared leto's hair ties into that and then you have um milo in his vampire form but he's just like just like a nice suit it was just like a cool like visual like seeing like a vampire face but dressed nice that's always kind of fun to see but yeah um other than that the final fight Again, I guess maybe now that I'm saying it out loud, the one power that was confusing to me was, okay, at one point, like he gets his stomach like gutted by Milo and then he falls down. And he looks dead. He screams and then he puts his finger in water and it vibrates. And then somehow that attracts all of the New York bats to come to his aid. I was like, what? And then he's <laughs> controlling the bats, like throwing them at Milo. Yeah. I was okay with him controlling the bats because it, it was like a visual like, oh, Morbius is, it, he's fully a vampire, but it was still stupid. <laughs> like the final scene where he kills Milo and Milo's just like, oh, Michael, I'm sorry. I'm your brother. I was like, oh my God, please stop. <laughs> or he's like, he was like, you're going to kill your brother, Michael? <laughs> oh my God. And then Michael just goes, stabs him. He looks like he died. And then it just cuts to Morbis and he just goes, Lucian. What? <laughs> Why? What was the point of that? <laughs> I finally accept that you're not Milo 14. <laughs> Milo 14. <laughs> oh, Lucian. I guarantee you in this sequel, the first Milo is going to come back. Brad Pitt as Milo 1, you think? Or maybe Grant Gustin as Milo 1. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say as bad as the final action scene was, another extremely laugh out loud moment was their first action scene where Milo kills all the cops in the subway. And there's like a literal, I would say... 45 second scene where it's all slow-mo and Milo is just running towards the camera with a subway train next to him. And then it cuts to Jared Leto's face and he looks sad. And then it cuts back to Milo's slow motion running with like his mouth open and fangs like, ah! 
And then it cuts back to Jared Leto and it cuts to it just keeps cutting back to him slow motion running and I laugh so hard. <laughs> well, they they liked that scene so much they did it again in the final action scene when he's running at him with a, like a rebar pole. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> that was another big slow motion sequence. <laughs> As for the abrupt ending, I kept waiting for like the turn of when Morbius is like, I'm a villain now. And he's not a villain when the credits roll. So I don't know when that's coming. Maybe in Morbius 3? Threebius. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a very abrupt ending, almost to the point where I wanted to laugh when he flies out with the bats and then it cuts to the FBI agents and they're like, okay, I guess we're cool. Like, he's not the guy that killed all those innocent people. It's like, okay. And then it just randomly cuts to Martine, who Keith and I, like, actually, I will be honest, like, we talked to each other very quietly in the theater because I was so confused about the scene where Martine dies. And they kiss, and she bites his lip. Oh, yeah. Drinks his drinks blood, his I guess. Blood. But then she drinks her blood, and I literally turned to Keith, and I was like, I do not know what just happened in that scene. It's weird, too, because they, they don't want to use any vampire lore in this movie, but then they randomly are like, okay, if you drink your vampire's blood, you can become one. So that's just randomly in there. But none of the other garlic, holy water, wooden steak, none of that stuff is in this movie, but just... They just picked and choose what they wanted to use. But of course, the problem is, okay, so if she had the wherewithal to do that, because in a lot of vampire media, you see like vampires who maybe they fall in love with a human and the human's about to die. So the vampire like slits their wrist and like just puts their wrist like into the human's mouth. It's like they're forcing them to become a vampire because they're so sad about the idea of not being able to live with that person. But Martine apparently is like cool with becoming a vampire. And I think she smiles in that last scene. So it's like, Okay, I guess she's cool with, you know, not dying and living as a vampire the rest of her life. <laughs> Very bizarre. But yeah, I do agree with you, Austin. Like, I just, I don't even know what they could do with this character in the future. Because, like you said, he's not a bad guy at this point. I don't know if you can call him a hero, but I mean, he's not out to do bad at, in the, when the credits roll. So I don't know how you can even utilize him in the future. Can we go into the, uh, the post-credit Oh, or mid-credit scenes? And we can. Keep. Maybe that'll answer our question. Oh, I hope it. I hope it does. So we've covered the ending of Morbius, like Keith said. But I think perhaps the biggest thing to talk about in the entire movie, which is saying something, is the post-credit scenes. So first we see Adrian Toomes, the vulture. He is transported to this universe because of Doctor Strange's No Way Home spell. Which is not how that spell worked in that movie. Just going to call that out there. Based on what they told us in that movie... Agreed. Very confusing why a spell that would make everybody forget that Peter Parker exists would pull in Vulture to a different universe. I don't know. Very confusing. <laughs> uh, but because he shows up in a new universe and this universe has no record of him being a prisoner, they're forced to release him. So that's our first credit scene. And then almost immediately we get the second one, which I turned to Keith and said, why is Morbius driving a car? Because he's just driving a car instead of flying. Um, and then he goes out in the middle of nowhere and he's like, whoa, I sense something. What is that? And then we see Vulture, who has come to a new universe and somehow built his Vulture suit again, I guess. With the tech from the first Avengers movie, which didn't happen yes. in this universe. <laughs> oh, Very confusing. Right. And he's like, What's up, Doc? Thanks for meeting me. And then Morbius goes. And then Vulture gives the weirdest exposition 
confusing line ever. He just goes, yeah, I showed up in this place. I don't belong. I think I have to do a Spider-Man. Looking to put a group together to do some good. And then it cuts to Morbius. Intriguing. <laughs> and then it just cuts to black. Talk to me about these confusing post-credit scenes. What do you guys think? I'm going to be honest. I didn't care enough to stay for the post-credit scenes, so I watched them <laughs> after the fact. Nice. I can respect that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it still doesn't answer our question. Is he a villain or not? This random dude to him. Um, Adrian shows up and like you said Austin the tech that he shouldn't even have Morbius has no idea who Spider-Man is either so how how are they going to build the motivation to take down the Spider-Man exactly I've never seen a post credit scene that makes me less excited for the future of a project like this <laughs> one did it opens up so many more nonsensical questions that I shouldn't have to ask because the filmmakers didn't plan any of this stuff out yeah if I'm trying to play devil's advocate we saw in No Way Home that like a bunch of Doctor Strange's spells had like inverse effects, if you want to call it that. Like they weren't perfect. Like whenever Peter's like, oh, wait, I want you to do a spell that makes everybody forget about me, but it can't be this person or that person or that person. And then the spell gets fucked up. So I'm kind of OK with the idea that like Doctor Strange at the end of No Way Home is casting a spell that is supposed to make everybody forget Peter Parker existed. So maybe there's like a weird inverse effect where it makes somebody like Adrian Toomes, who knows Peter Parker as Spider-Man, go into a different universe. It's something they would have to explain in future movies, but that premise makes sense to me. So I was like, okay, it's weird, but whatever. But the scene that I can't abide is the second post credit scene. Because it's just, okay, so now you're telling me that Vulture somehow knows that Spider-Man had something to do with why he's here. <laughs> and if you remember Homecoming, they ended on good terms. Scorpion comes up to him in prison and is like, I heard you know Spider-Man's identity. Tell me. And he's like, I don't know. So he was defending Peter. And now he's like, I guess, out to kill him. And Keith and I were talking. It's like, whenever he brings up, I think Spider-Man's involved. You want to team up and do some good? And Morbius is like, intriguing. He's like, he doesn't know who that is. Is there a Spider-Man in this universe? Is Andrew Garfield swinging around somewhere? They didn't tell us that. They didn't show us that. So why would Morbius even care about what this guy has to say? If this Sinister Six team is the project that Sony has for Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man 3, he better say no to that project because <laughs> it's not going to be good for Andrew. Yeah, I mean, right now it seems like Vulture, um, Venom, and Morbius are three of our Sinister Six. I'm guessing somehow they're going to go back to the MCU, but I don't know if the MCU wants it, so I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I want to give an award super badly to Morbius, guys. It's time for the Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is where we take something that could be super good or super bad from a movie or TV show or whatever we're talking about, and we throw a little praise its way. So Austin and Keith, do you guys have something that you're feeling super passionate about awarding? Yeah, I'm going to give the please stop award to Sony Studios. Please stop with all <laughs> these projects. Let your rights transition back to Marvel, and then we can have good Spider-Man projects. Well, this is a piece of trivia that will play into my award. And this is the worst candidate for Luke Cage Award. And that goes to Mr. Tyrese Gibson, who was in talks to play Luke Cage at one point in time Ugh. in the early 2000s. No, no. sorry, late 2000s. No more Tyrese, <laughs> please. In anything. <laughs> Only Fast and Furious projects. <sighs> Even that's going to be a little Even bit those. tiring. <laughs> those films support his caliber of acting. <laughs> the award I'm going to give, which probably should make sense to everybody, but it is, it's a long one, so forgive me, everybody. It is the actor most supported by slow-mo 
in motion picture history. And that's Matt Smith. Whether he's running by a subway or running to fight Morbius with a rebar in his hands, this guy was in an hour and 45 minute long movie and most of his scenes were slow motion. And I just want to shout out Matt Smith for going through that. There was so long I fell asleep in the middle of one and then I woke up you and really it was did. still going. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So thank you everybody so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another entry in our favorite movies series. We just did an episode on one of my choices, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, so be sure to go check that out. But now, it is Austin's turn. So, I'm excited for this because, Keith, you and I don't know what's about to happen. So, Austin, please take it away. What movie are we going to be talking about next week? Well, J.K. Simmons was very fortunately cut from Morbius. However, in the next episode of Our Favorite Movies, he will be the lead in one of my favorite movies, Whiplash. Ooh. Hell yeah. Whiplash. Hell yes. Great pick. Great, great pick. Haven't seen this one in a little while, so I'm very excited. This is going to be a good one, I think. All right. Well, lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Morbius? Should Jared Leto have done his terrible House of Gucci Italian accent in this movie? Is Tyree Skipson ever going to do something good outside of Fast and Furious? No, because he's a bad actor. <laughs> Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right. So with that, everybody, have a great rest of your week. I'm sure you enjoyed Morbius um, as much as we did. Jesus Christ. Uh, but we'll see you next time for Whiplash. And with that, I'm going to leave you with Jared Leto's line reading uh, from the last post credit scene of Morbius. Intriguing. See ya. I don't have anything to say here. Just roll the music. Yeah. <laughs>